you know, like I said, we had this conversation with my kids, like, Hey guys, here's what I was trying to do, but it's, it's going to take me out of alignment with my values in terms of time spent with my family. So what are some other ways I can do this? And we, you know, we had this discussion and at the end of the day, the more powerful thing that happened is not that these four carpool trips happened and not that I failed to have four trips on public transportation, but that my whole family, six of us, became mindful of our impact on the environment just through our regular daily life. So we, we had this discussion. We end up just talking about pollution, for example, as you know, using fewer sandwich bags. Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you, hear their struggles, and then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public personal challenge of your own. You're not alone and you don't have to wait for others. In the last episode, Jim had a plan. Here we hear how Jim's plan works out. I also want to point out at the beginning, Jim and I finally met in person. So we begin with some friendly conversation. You hear about how he lost 23 pounds in two and a half days as a wrestler. That's incredible. But mostly you hear how he did his challenge more than he would have been able to before. And you'll hear how he likes it. This is community building, family building, bonding, and things like that. That is a trend that happens over and over again when people take on these challenges. It looks hard. They're not sure how to do it. But when they get down to it, it builds community. It connects with people. That's what happens when you live by your values. That's what value means. Value, better, worse. When you live by your values, it means you're living by what's better for you. Not my values, but by your values. So let's hear Jim talk about it. Hey, Josh. Hey, how are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm very good. Good. And ready to start, like, uh, you know, recording as we are. Cool. Yeah. Ready to roll. We on? Yes. <laughs> Great. And that way people get to hear. And and actually, it's funny because... Yeah, from the beginning. Yeah, starting from the beginning. And what people don't know is that you and I actually met for the first time face-to-face. Yes, we did. We are real people. We confirmed each other as a real person. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because... You put me in touch with someone who works at a great organization that I really like called Generation 180 in Charlottesville, Virginia. And I was supposed to go talk there and then you and I were supposed to meet. But then that meeting ended up going so well. And I hope it was okay with you that like it uh, you joined the meeting and participated in it. (laughs) Yeah. So for the listener, we were just like Josh said, he came in, he connected with a friend of mine at the company. They invited Josh to come down and speak. And and, uh, Josh said, Jim, I'll be wrapping up at such and such time. Why don't you come by and and we'll go grab a drink or something. So I came by their office at Generation 180 and Josh was still sitting there talking with the CEO and a couple others. And they just kind of invited me into the conversation. And then, you know, I don't know, an hour and a half later, I was like, hey, I got to run. You know, I got to go pick up my daughter from gymnastics. So that was our, we didn't get to sit down one-on-one, but um, but I was thrown into this conversation. It was just, it was fascinating. It was just an incredible conversation. Well, it's a big piece of, of what's going on with this podcast, I hope, is that it's creating community. And one of the big things I want for 
listeners to get is that you are not alone in thinking, can I do something? And if I do something, will it make much of a difference? Because all these people alone thinking I'm not going to make much of a difference. But actually, when you start doing this stuff, you start connecting with other people. And the reason that meeting went so long was that it was really fascinating and incredible because multiple times, I don't know if this came up while you were there, but multiple times we asked each other, is anyone else doing what we're doing? Right. Meaning, is anyone else trying to influence people to enjoy changing their behavior, not just to pass laws and tell other people to change, not just to spread doom and gloom or to educate. Those things are important, maybe not the doom and gloom stuff. Well, I guess we need to know what's going to happen. But none of us could think of anyone else doing that. And I hope that we become swamped with many, many people doing that. And before you got there, Jim, we talked about you as someone who was taking on a personal challenge. You heard this when it came up when you were there, that um, you know you took on the challenge and then it was... You couldn't do it. There were things like what you anticipated wanting to do was a challenge. And I think a lot of people think they think, oh, I got to change my behavior for the environment. And then like something comes up, they can't do it and they give up on it. But you didn't give up. And it, which was our one and a half conversation before this one, our second conversation. Right. And I hope people get that once you start doing this, like you heard how Jim described this conversation. It was really enthusiastic and fun and rewarding and that's what happens when you do this. Also, just know Jim because <laughs> he will connect you with people who are uh, – I don't want to swamp you with, with emails now, but I, well, everyone listen to the podcast. Reach out. I love connecting people. So know Jim, connect with Jim, and you'll meet people who are valuable. As long as you're a good human being. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you what I did after that because it was this meeting about leadership in the environment. I just come down from D.C., uh, to give a talk there, and then uh, I didn't have – you and I were supposed to get some food, and I didn't have food to before my train ride back. Huh. So – I asked them where there's a grocery store. So I go to a grocery store. This is now me being, it would seem kind of weird, but now I'm deciding that it's not going to seem so weird to me is that I went to the store and it's like a grocery store and it's all packaged food. So I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm really hungry and I'm prepared to get nothing because I was kind of hungry the night before in DC. I couldn't find anything. So I had a very light dinner of basically the fruit I brought from home. And so what did I get for the train ride back to New York? I bought three zucchinis and a mango. <laughs> and I was looking at them thinking, is this food? Like, like people are going to see me eating this. And I thought, is this too weird to do? And then I thought, wait a minute. I've been to plenty of wine and cheese events where there's crudite and, you know, like they would have zucchini and you like dip in hummus or whatever. Sure. And no one would say that's weird to eat it. And, you know, I washed it off. And mangoes, I've known this for a long time. The skin is edible and healthy. And then I got on the train and sitting next to me, actually waiting for the train, we ended up sitting next to each other. There was a, a young woman getting her PhD in history at uh, UVA. And we ended up talking, my dad's a history professor. And I told her, you know, I got these zucchinis. <laughs> and she was like, go ahead, eat it. I don't think it's weird at all. <laughs> and I think, I don't know if people know what it's like, but for me as a straight guy, it's like one of the things you want least in life is to embarrass yourself in front of a pretty girl. <laughs> And this was the opposite. It was a friendly, engaging or endearing thing that came. So uh, now I'm like more comfortable eating zucchinis on a train. He's got to do it once when the first time's the hardest. Well, yeah, I think that's part of leadership is sometimes you got to be right. the first and maybe yeah. in the future, more people eat zucchinis in public <laughs> <laughs> or I'm losing listeners at, at the moment. That's what this campaign's about, really. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it doesn't even mess at all. In fact, you know, I was kind of surprised. I didn't realize this. When I was a kid, I really didn't like zucchinis, but I didn't realize how sweet they are. I mean, these are really sweet zucchinis, like almost like candy. And it's it's interesting whenever you, you know, those are like a delicacy. If you start cutting out sugars in your diet, which we know is unhealthy anyway, and you start eating more fruit or more vegetables, I mean, those things, they taste so much better. You don't even have to put stuff on them, you know, and 
I've actually started watching a documentary called What the Health. Have you seen that, Josh? I haven't seen it yet. Oh man, you got to watch it. Or maybe you should be. It's, it's pretty extreme, but, um, they talk about basically, you know, it's more or less, I mean, in very simplified terms, it's, it's, so we should just go on a diet of fruit and vegetables and just about the you know, carcinogenic effects of meat, you know, whether it's white meat, red meat, et cetera, but it'll really turn you away from meat and towards a diet of fruit and vegetables. It's a pretty fascinating documentary. It's caused some controversy because I think I've done some fact checking on it and there are some things that are maybe some inferred things that they put in there that are based off of incomplete research. They're just making inferences as, and stating them as fact. But there's a lot of truth involved in the documentary that'll really impact your thoughts about eating meat, which, you know, we talk about minimizing our carbon footprint. Well, red meat has a huge carbon footprint as compared to vegetables. Yeah. Well, I haven't eaten it for decades, so no problem for me to watch it. And, you know, this is more stuff of like, the more you get into this, the more it's just, it's second nature. It's a lot of people think of changing your behavior for the environment. It's like so hard. And to start it may be, but you know, all these people I'm talking to, it's not that hard. Right. Oh, and also you're talking about sweetness. And yeah, I actually had to pause between the zucchinis because they were so sweet. And I had to let my taste buds like re get used to it. And the way I've been putting it is that if you eat a lot of Ben and Jerry's and apples aren't very sweet, but if you don't eat much yeah. Ben and Jerry's, they're too sweet. I mean, I can eat one. I can't. It's hard for me to eat a whole one. I usually I put peanut butter on them to kind of make it less sweet. And the way I put it is that I have less sugar in my diet than I used to, but I have more sweetness. And frankly, that's the way I want it. Yeah. More sweet, less sugar. I actually had a conversation with my boys this past summer. It was in it was in July, and we were talking about. Uh, I was just telling them about the ill effects. We were just whatever having a bowl of cereal, probably loaded with sugar, <laughs> and I was telling them about the just the ill effects of sugar in your diet. And I said, you know, some people. I was talking about some friends of mine who have gone who had gone on sugar fasts, and. And just the benefits of it in, you know, in terms of your ability to stay focused longer and just health benefits, et cetera. And my 11 year old at the time said, I want to do it. I was like, you want to do what? He's like, I want to go on a sugar fast. I'm like, I, I wasn't suggesting you do. I'm like, I'm just trying to educate you. You know, he's like, in my, in my nine year old at the time, they're both had birthdays um, since, but he goes, I want to do it too. I'm like, wait, All right. wait a second. So <laughs> I'm like, well, I guess I have to do it then too. And this was 10 days before my nine-year-old's birthday. I said, okay, listen, if you guys want to do this, we'll do it for 10 days because Wyatt's birthday is in 10 days from now. So let's, let's just make a set of, you know, a finite goal of, of doing this for 10 days. And it was amazing. It was incredible. I, I, we didn't even talk about it the rest of the evening. Woke up. I went to work. They did, we didn't talk about it. And my wife calls me. She goes, Hey, what's this about the boys doing a sugar fast? They're telling me they can't eat this and eat that. And I'm like, I'm like, well, you know, I'm like, it was totally their decision. But my point is here, Josh, and for the listener is, once they decided and once we decided to make this change, it was easy. We made this decision and it was easy. So for me, every day after dinner, I feel like I have to have some kind of sweet. I just have to have like a cookie or a piece of chocolate or something, you know, I just have this craving. Mango. And so I just changed it to Now we were, we did allow ourselves to have sugar. It was just, we couldn't have food that had added sugar. So we could have fruit. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I would do. I would eat like a piece of fruit or something else. It was just naturally sweet and it totally satisfied that craving. And it was just, it was just a decision I made. Like we just made a choice and said, okay, this is what we're going to do. And it was actually quite easy. You know, this is one of the big things that I'm finding is that community is as big a hurdle to overcome. Like if you freaked out about eating different types of foods in a community that, you know, for me, it was eating these orange peels for the first time was like kind of, I was like, oh, that's gonna be really weird. But when you get people who support you, like you and your kids, then it becomes 
the opposite. If community makes it easier. Yeah. Yeah. And you're talking about eating and it's all these things about bringing a bag with you to the store or, you know, taking a train instead of a plane or something like that. It just like the more that you live by your values, the more that the people around you are people also living by their values. Yeah. And, you know, you're going to lose the friends who are like insist on getting chocolate cake every time. And you're like, sorry, I'm not doing that. Well, you're going to spend a little less time with that person. Right. But you're not going to spend less time with friends overall. Just it's going to shake up a little differently. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be different people and different amount of time spent with different people. And that's actually a core part of my program, which is actually based all upon my career as an athlete, as a wrestler. It's like I had to put myself through absurd things that, that people would never even couldn't even relate to. I mean, most people, I'll, I'll tell you one extreme example. And yeah. at the risk yeah. of making wrestling sound like a terrible sport, this is actually a thing of the past, but um, the way in rules have all changed since I was in college in the nineties. But um, some people are going to roll their eyes and not even believe me, but I lost 23 pounds in two and a half days. Once I lost 23 pounds in two and a half days. I'm sorry. I thought, did I hear you say 23 pounds in two and a half days? You got it. 23 pounds. In two and a half days. And like all your limbs are still intact? Oh, yeah. I mean, (laughs) didn't go to the hospital or anything. And I actually competed the following day. But the only reason, what I had to go through to to make the weight was absurd. I couldn't have done this without, number one, having a goal that aligned with my values. Okay. So my values were around wrestling and around, you know, not letting my team down and loyalty and being the person that I set out to be and, and you know, having these lofty aspirations for the end of the season and making weight at this particular event, you know, I had to make weight in order for me to, to achieve those goals. So I had my, my goals were aligned with my values, but I also had a team of like-minded people around me who supported me and helped me. And otherwise I couldn't have gone through these absurd, you know, this extreme experience without having people around me. So we're not talking about that extreme of an experience by, you know, eating fruit or bringing your bags with you to the grocery store or carpooling or using public transportation. These aren't as nearly as extreme as that, that, you know, two and a half day experience of mine, but it required me being around the right people, having the right people in my life, but also having my goals tethered to the things that I valued most. Yeah, it was, it was extreme. So I I made weight. Basically, you just, you're you're not losing any fat. You're losing, you're just wringing the water out of your body. You just, that's how I think. So you're just sweating and sweating and not eating. Work out and sweat. It's all water weight, just sweating and sweating and not eating, not consuming anything and, or consuming very little, just enough to kind of give you energy to do another workout. And in those days you would weigh in before you would weigh in the day before you competed. So I didn't compete until the next day. So I was able to rehydrate and refuel and everything, get a good night sleep, etc. Um, I still wasn't 100% the next day. I actually wrestled terribly. But the point is, you can put yourself through extreme things if you have the right values identified, you have the right goals that are, that are tethered to those values, and you have what I call the environment of excellence, the right people around you. Then you can do these things are that are out of the norm, out of the average of society. You can step outside of the average and, and do things that are uh, that are hard to do. So I think, and I hope that people listen to this, some might listen to you and think, oh, well, he's got that experience. He can do things that I can't do. But I hope that they listen and think, okay, I can use this as an opportunity to be able to do things that I didn't think I could do before. And because in your case here, your go-to community of support was your kids and your wife. Mm -hmm. And so let's switch to that. So when last we spoke, you had switched from public transportation to carpooling and working with your family to work together to figure out how to do something that at first seemed doable, but then wasn't quite doable. And so what did you come up with? What was your personal challenge 
Well, the personal challenges ended up being a lot of smaller things or a handful of smaller things to replace the, you know, the essentially four big things, the four carpools, the four public transportation trips. So we did four carpools, maybe more than that, actually, by now. But we did four plus carpools to my daughter's gymnastics. So there was a friend of hers who pretty much had to pass our house to get to gymnastics. So she would get dropped off and we would just drive her to, to gymnastics. So it was, it was uh, fewer miles driven by cars. You know, and like I said, we had this conversation with my kids, like, hey, guys, you know, here's what I was trying to do, but it's going to take me out of alignment with my values in terms of time spent with my family. So how can, you know, what are some other ways I can do this? And we, you know, we had this discussion. And at the end of the day, the more powerful thing that happened is not that these four carpool trips happened and not that I failed to have four trips on public transportation, but that my whole family, six of us, became mindful of our impact on the environment just through our regular daily life. So we, we had this discussion. I talked, you know, we end up just talking about pollution, for example, is, you know, using fewer sandwich bags. You know, we use like so many sandwich bags and packing snacks and food and lunches and we pack our kids lunches every day. And um, so we use fewer of those. We started buying things in bulk. Sam's Club that were not individually packaged, like some crackers and snacks and things like that, that we could put into Tupperware in reusable containers. So we're just minimizing the amount of plastic made, plastic going into the landfills. We talked about shorter showers, taking shorter showers. I talked to them about using hot water because sometimes my kids will just, kids will just, they'll turn the water on and they'll turn the hot water on and wash their hands and then turn it off before the hot water even comes out of the faucet. And I said, well, that's wasteful. Here's why. You're running hot water out of the hot water tank that has to be, you know, fossil fuels had to be burned to heat that water. And it's running through the pipes and, and it turns into cold water. So you just turn hot water to cold water and it never even touched your hands. And it was just basically wasted impact on the environment. So there's the, and then the, you know, the discussion about red meat and minimizing red meat, which we're actually doing. We've actually already started cutting back. Well, actually on, on all meat in general, we're looking at some alternatives to, to meat, cutting back on meat in our diet. And that was actually, there's a, there are multiple motivations there. Not only the impact on the environment, but it's like now we're like, oh my gosh, these things are, this is like a, a level one, I think it is, or whatever the, the tiers are, like at the top level carcinogen. If you go to the American uh, Cancer Society website, it'll tell you meat is a carcinogen. So there's the multiple motivations there. But in the end, what happens is not just four trips, four public transportation trips, but a mindset and a mindfulness around the little things that the six of us do that impact the environment. That's going to carry on for forever. I mean, this conversation is not going to stop, you know, just because, you know, it's a little part of what we, how we think anyway, but having these conversations and having a group of people, an environment of excellence, my family to help us through this, uh, we're all kind of like-minded people in this way now, and we're all going to make different choices around our uh, impact on the environment. Feeling inspired? Do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodek.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable, join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more, and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. Man, this is, it's almost like this is like something that was waiting to happen. It feels like I can't help but talk in like science terms, but like uh, it makes me feel like, do you know, like if a, if a fluid is super saturated, like when you put, uh, when you make rock salt, yeah. you know, you keep putting stuff in and it's like, 
if you heat water up, yeah. you can dissolve more into it than right. if it's not heated. Then you cool it off and it like wants to jolt into, you know, making crystallized. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's what happened with you guys. Like you were waiting to, to have this happen. You just needed something to get you going. Yeah, sure. And it wasn't hard. None of it's been hard. Some of it's been easier and better. You know, one of the analogies I like to talk about is it's like if you step in a puddle first thing in the morning or you walk out and it's raining in the morning and you you got wet socks on all day. Have I said this one to you before? <laughs> no, but I heard you reference it a couple of times in the, in the discussion at Generation 180, but I missed the, the initial part of it. So I just kept hearing you talk about a wet sock and I didn't know what you were referring to. <laughs> it's that if you walk out in the morning, you get wet, you might not think about it. Like you say you're in a hurry, you step in a puddle or it's raining when you first go out in the morning, your, your feet get wet. And then you're busy and you don't really notice it, but your socks are wet all day long. And I think that becoming more aware and acting on the environment, on things that you care about, whatever your values are, when you are aware that you've been, it's more convenient not to like to stop and take your shoes off. And so you don't really do it. But then at the end of the day, you come home, you take your shoes off, you take your socks off and you're like, oh my God, that feels so much better. I didn't realize how miserable that was making me all day. Right. And I think when you live inconsistently with your values, it's like, having wet socks on and doing what you're doing is like taking them off and realizing, man, that was really bothering me. And what most people are doing instead of stopping and taking their socks off is they're like doing stuff to occupy their mind. So they don't really notice it, but it's still there. Mm -hmm. So maybe if you're someone who is eats a lot of meat and you're like, Oh, I just like the taste of meat, but you really actually want to stop. And I'm not saying some people don't want to stop. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about people who really want to stop. But everyone's got something that they want to, they want to do, but it's a little more convenient not to. Easy to do, easy not to do. Yeah. And if you do make the switch, not only – like one, it makes you more comfortable. And if you don't make the switch, you kind of – a lot of people cover it up. They like – they do other stuff to occupy themselves. It doesn't make that misery go away. It's just now kind of covered up. And you might be good at that and do that your whole life and not really have to deal with it. But if you just take it off – See, you take them off and you realize, oh man, my shoes are wet and maybe your underwear got wet too. And now you realize, oh man, I'm wearing wet underwear. And if you change out of that, you know, maybe you stop by and get some new underwear or something like that. I'm carrying the analogy too far, <laughs> but you might realize that there's other stuff that's messed up too. And it's only as big a deal as it is most of these things like mentally, at least at the beginning, as you take on bigger and bigger challenges. They may be harder, like with me not flying, you know, it's like I just signed a contract to do a talk in, in Salt Lake City next year and it's going to be a pain. I'm going to either take the train to Salt Lake City from New York is kind of far. I had to negotiate the contract differently to make sure that uh, like the original contract said, like, we will reimburse you for flying. And I was like, mm, got to make sure that anyway, all, all these little details that you have to work out, but they're not that hard. Yeah. Some people, it's hard. They look at it and they think it's hard. If you haven't made the mindset shift that you described, it's as hard as your mind makes it. Yeah, it's as hard as your mind makes it. I mean, you know, people think about losing 23 pounds in two and a half days. Was it hard? Yeah, it was absurdly hard. But it wasn't that hard. It wasn't as hard as you think it was. Most people think it's impossible, right? It was not impossible. But I was able to do it because it was important to me, right? And And so you have to think about what's important to you. You know, you have to really think. I mean, some people, they really have to think about what's important to me. And, and, you know, you forced me, Josh, to think about the environment more than I already was. 
And I know this is something that's important to me. Why? Well, they're, you know, just because it's, you know, something I value is the environment and the outdoors and the, the food that we eat. And I want my children to go grow up in a, and not breathe polluted air and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So these things are important to me. So therefore, it was easier for me to do some of these things and have these conversations with my family, et cetera. But the other level is there was also some accountability there, right? Like basically I'm talking to you who you're part of my environment of excellence, Josh, you hold me to a higher standard, whether you know it or not. I feel, you know, you are somebody who who's within my sphere of influence, who holds themselves to a high standard. So I feel like I have to hold myself to that same high standard. So that raises my standards and there's a an audience listening who I feel like um, I'm part of that as well. You know, they're, they're part of my environmental excellence as well because I feel like I have to raise myself to that standard too, right? I have to hold myself to uh, – I'm being held accountable essentially by this audience. I'm not going to meet or see them necessarily, but it's important to have these people in your life to hold you to that high standard. First, thank you. I really appreciate that. And you're the one who's – Email signature says you have to have people in your life who hold you to high standards. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. So, and so you advertise to the world. You're basically saying to people, like, hold me to a high standard. Mm -hmm. And so you've made that part of your environment. You've invited that from people. And I think I even referenced it. I think the reason I know it is because when you said that you had the initial trouble that I think I might have referenced it in, in an email to you. Yeah, you did. That's right. You talked about the values. Can you say a bit more about the values? And is it safe to say that what began as you doing something there's the external stuff of what you did, which is carpool and um, reuse Tupperware instead of disposable bags. What were you doing internally? Like, what are the values? I mean, you talked about it, but I'm curious if you can go into more depth. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so my values are faith, family, fit, and fun. Okay. And, and they're all pretty self-explanatory except for fit. Fit is a, has a dual meaning to me. It means both fitness, but also having an occupation that, that is good fit for me and my personality and what I like, et cetera. So the environment's not necessarily in those. So it's, it would maybe be a secondary value. I mean, it's, I, I majored in environmental science. I've been uh, a proponent of the environment for years uh, and maybe it should be added. Maybe that's something that should be added to my core values. It doesn't start with the F word. So I need to figure out, <laughs> figure out how they can make, cause I, I made them all start with F. I kind of found words that, uh, that work that all started with F so I can remember them easier. I think that's important for people to do to be able to articulate what specifically those values are. But because, it, you know, the environment's not one of my stated five core values, it's certainly, you know, look, I don't have to look very far to realize that, you know, the environment is something that I value very highly. Maybe it's not a core value. Maybe it's a secondary value. But to be honest, it may be tethered to, and it is now that I'm thinking about kind of going deeper inside of my head and thinking about it, like, I want my kids and grandkids to, this is part of family, I want them to have a good, a healthy planet Earth to live on. Sorry to interrupt, but I, how about future? Yeah, there you go. Love it. <laughs> future, I'm writing that down. Like once you said, I was like, my brain was like, I was, I'm listening to Jim, but also F words, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're looking for a word. Yeah, awesome. Love it. So, and then, and then here's another one with faith, you know. I believe in God and I believe that he gave us this planet in this earth. And I think we have to be good stewards of it. I think it's a sin not to. I mean, it's, it's an amazing, beautiful place and we can't desecrate it. So faith, family, fit, be honest, you know, my fitness has to do with my health. And it's like, I know that, you know, when my wife was pregnant, she couldn't eat canned tuna. It's a healthy food that you can buy off the shelf. But you know what? Pregnant women aren't supposed to eat it because there's too much mercury in it. You know, it, it impacts your health. Yeah. So, um, and for me, fun, you know, outdoors is a big part of my fun, whether it's 
fishing or whitewater kayaking, rock climbing, et cetera. Um, that's all outside in the environment. So, I mean, this stuff all very much aligns with, you know, when I go on hikes with my kids, if we see a piece of trash on the ground, we're picking yeah. it up, you know. So all of this stuff very much aligns with with my values. So it's easier for me because I've done that work to say, yeah, let's use fewer bags, you know, let's let's use less packaged food, let's take shorter showers, etc. So it sounds like these baby you started with baby steps and they're growing and growing. And do you see giant steps down the road? It's a good question. I still want to use more public transportation. I think that's just something that would that would be good for me. Again, multiple motivations. I feel like I can get work done instead of driving. I could actually, you know, be working while uh, while I'm traveling. But that's a good question. I don't think it is out of the question. I think um, my wife's values very much align with future, you know, as well <laughs> with the environment. So yeah, potentially. I don't know what that would be just yet. But I think now that just like whenever you buy a Subaru Forester and the, all of a sudden the day you buy Subaru Foresters from then on after you see Subaru Foresters on the road everywhere you go, mm-hmm. you know, your, your radar is just your, your sort of subconscious is, is subconscious antennas are up and looking for them. And now, you know, now the more mindfulness that we have around our impact on the environment the more our antenna are going to be up for ways to minimize our impact. And that's what you're doing. And that's what Generation 180s is doing, is making us more mindful of the little things that impact our environment. Like when you walk in front of a store in a mall, outdoor mall, that has their doors propped open on a 95 degree day in the summer in Virginia, and they're letting the cold air conditioning pour out onto the sidewalk to entice people to walk into their store. And uh, they want to flag those, those businesses. Yeah, that, that's one of their initiatives to, mm-hmm. so that you can get out your cell phone and tell them about it because that air conditioning is using up a lot of fossil fuels to do. And if the door's closed, they're not burning as much fossil fuels. Right. In New York City, that's against the law. Oh, is it in New York City? Yeah, it's against the law. I told them about there's a, a page in New York where you can go into the government in something.nyc.gov where you can report the stores. And so they, they're thinking about making their connecting with the New York City government and other places where it's against, I think New York State government actually, to cool. report on that. I wanted to say, so if you're in front of a store that has violated this enough times, then it will tell your cell phone, walk a hundred yards away and there's a competitor who doesn't do this and you can go to the competitor store instead of this one. Uh-huh. And of all the different things you can weigh, of which, choosing which one you want to use, that's one of the factors because yeah. that's what people listen to. That's part of your community. If you're like trashing the community by polluting unnecessarily, I think people would want to react to that. And you're also already affecting, I mean, you're this other family that you're carpooling with, you're interacting with them. So maybe influencing them in some way. How's that interaction going? Were they like, this is great or this sucks or what? No, you know, actually, that's the family that turned me on to the movie, What the Health. Um, So they're very like-minded and this was uh, an easy thing for them to be like, yeah, of course, let's do that, you know, and there was a win-win there too, you know, is carpooling or saving fossil fuels, but also saving time and money for everybody involved. So it's like when you find these win-wins, it's even easier. And that's the thing. You just got to keep your eyes out for these kind of win-wins. Um, and, you know, going back to the store with the doors open, you know, like now that I think about that, I never even really thought about that, this that much. But again, this is, you know, Generation 180 having this sort of campaign to make me aware. Um, to me, that's almost like somebody blowing their secondhand smoke in my face. I'm like, 
why would you do that? Like, who does that? You know, like the, to me now, when I walk past a store like that, I'm certainly going to think less of that store, of the proprietor. Subconsciously in my head, there's going to be some small trigger that's going to make me think less of that store. And I might even speak up to the manager. If we do go into that store for some reason, or I may go in to say something to them anyway. It just, to me, it seems ridiculous that somebody would do that. Yeah, these changes keep building and building. For me, like not eating packaged food, like I got... In the past two and a half years, I've had one can of food and, and I was like, why did I, I wanted some tomatoes and I asked my friend or I got a can of tomatoes and I was like, why did I melt aluminum so I could have a tomato that's not even as good as fresh? <laughs> yeah. I don't even need this thing. And so I was like, I have tons of tomatoes. I don't need more cans. Yeah. And then all these little changes happen and you don't even, people come over and I keep telling them how I'm not polluting uh, my, my landfill garbage. I empty this little canvas bag once every six months or so. And they're like, wow, that's really good. And first of all, they think it's amazing. I'm like, I didn't try to do it. It just happened. I, you know, I was just trying to avoid packaging for a little while and it turned out it made my life better, so much better that I kept at it. And every time I, exactly what you're talking about with you, like you do one little thing, you do the next thing, you do the next thing. And next thing you know, you just look at packaged food. And you're like, why was I doing that? That's horrible. I mean, I still have packaging. It's just a lot, a lot less than before. Like I got a jar, a bottle of vinegar that's, that happens to be right here. And uh, I don't really know how to get vinegar without packaging. Actually, I might find out how to make it from wine, but then I have to get the wine. Anyway, so, but here's some, here's another thought. I'm, I'm changing the topic a little bit, yeah. but I, I thought of people keep saying, thank you for not having so much garbage. And I'm like, I still have a lot of garbage. And I found out a word to describe throwing out your garbage once or twice a year. What is it? You know what? It's disgusting because I'm still producing garbage that other people have to deal with. And it's going to be around for thousands of years, some of this garbage. Huh. Yeah. And just because someone else is producing more or that I used to produce more doesn't change that I'm leaving my garbage for other people for thousands of years. And I want to have less of it. And as it turns out, the best way to produce less of it is to have more delicious food. Works pretty well. Mm. There you go. It's a win-win. That's the finding the win-win there. Yeah. That's values, living by your values. Yeah. And having people around you who are living by theirs. Okay. So I'm kind of curious, it would, not to give you another personal challenge, but would you be interested in, in following up another time, like maybe in several months from now to hear how things have evolved? Sure. I'm trying to think if we should schedule it now or just kind of keep in touch and schedule it later because I'm sure we'll be in touch in the meantime anyway. Yeah, I think either way. I think we, you and I can probably be in touch about it. Okay. So we'll just leave this little teaser. We'll give ourselves <laughs> accountability that maybe sometime in, in the winter, it's September now, so sometime in the winter, so we'll do another conversation just to hear how things have evolved. Yeah, that'd be great. Anything else to share about this one? Otherwise, I'll, I'll probably wrap up. No, you know, I'm just already thinking about the winter. It's like, what can we do? We can turn the turn the heat down, wear warmer clothes, wear get everybody a pair of slippers that doesn't have one, you know, put an extra sweatshirt on. All these things, that, all these opportunities, you know, weather sealing and weather stripping and the things like that around the windows and doors and cracks and things like that. So, so many opportunities. It's just this is just another level of mindfulness. Mindfulness is a big, you know. The hot topic these days and mindfulness around our environment is it, it fits right in. It's such an easy access point to it. Yeah. 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 And then community is the other big, oh yeah. Did I talk to you about the Victoria's Secret model? Yes. At Generation 180, it did. So we haven't recorded it yet, but it looks like that's going to happen. And now that's led to me meeting a very high level person at Victoria's Secret. It might lead to more of them. And I'm realizing scientists Oh, I was at this. Oh, I gotta say this. I was at this thing at NYU. This author, a woman who used to teach at NYU, now is at Harvard, and she was talking about how these scientists come in and they they gave us all this data, but they didn't make it so that we could act on it. And it's really unfortunate that we've had decades of scientists giving us information, but not effectively. And I'm like, 
once they publish, everyone I, I raised my hand, I said this in at this talk, and I said everyone had access to that science. Anyone, everyone could have done something. And it's not the scientists, they're not trained in influencing other people. And it hit me that we all could have acted on the science anytime. That science has been around for a long time. And then I realized, why are we looking to, I've kind of asked this before, but like, why are we looking to scientists for leadership? Scientists aren't trained in that. That's not what they do. And to put it all on them is is just abdicating our own responsibility that anyone could have spread that knowledge once it was out there and they're not hiding it. And then I thought, every time I've been mentioning the Victoria's Secret model, everyone's like, wow, that could be a really great show. I'm like, they're really influential and they're going to reach people that I never would reach. And why weren't we looking to celebrities before? Why do we think it should only come from scientists and politicians and Anyway, so I'm expanding my reach of... Yeah, the scientists provide us the the knowledge and the information, but knowledge isn't power if it's not acted upon. Yeah, and actually they're not acting on it that much, but anyone could have acted on it. Sure. And so I want to bring very well-known people and very influential people, and that includes Victoria's Secret models if necessary, Mm -hmm. to share their experiences. And hopefully they'll have experiences like you've had. Yeah. Maybe they won't. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out for different people. Yeah. So let's wrap up and then I'll talk to you again for everyone to listen to in a couple months or a few months. And I'll keep in touch with how things are going with Generation 180 just to plug again another organization I think is doing a great job. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks a lot and talk to you soon. Great talking to you again, Josh. Likewise. Bye. Same here. Bye. He achieved a personal challenge and got his whole family involved and got the neighbors involved. And more importantly to me, instead of what a lot of people rely on is more willpower, I will do whatever it takes to make this happen, and trying to go it alone, he asked for help, and he got help. That's leadership in the style that I believe that I practice and teach, and I hope that this podcast promotes. It's not about telling people what to do, or I will do it harder or better than anybody, but it's about knowing your values and the values of the people that you lead and acting on those values. And when you do that, It ends up being something that you enjoy doing with people who enjoy doing it with you. I love that he's still going for more. He's going to take on others. I'm sure we'll have him back here again. And for you listeners, I hope that this is as inspirational for you as it was for me, that he's going to do things again. So I look forward to seeing your personal challenge on the list. Did you feel inspired too? Then act. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others. Value means better and worse, and living by your values means living better by your values. You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses to the empowering I can make a difference, and living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.